Please turn with me now to Ephesians chapter 2. I made this statement in the first service. I want to say it to you as well. Sometimes it appears that we stay in a place in Scripture and, 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 it, and, it, and sometimes it looks like we're just beating it to death. The truth of the matter is, it's, it, it is really imperative that we listen to God's voice in this. There's, there is within the Word of God so many wonderful, deep truths written within the Word of God. So many things that we need to glean and understand. And uh, this place in, in Ephesians is, is unbelievable and, and, and so important for us as a body of believers. It, we're going to be talking about today the very essence of peace, having peace with God. But we're also going to be looking at what God has, has ordained for the church today. In each generation, God has given a call to a body of believers. And we're going to make the, 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 the case this morning of how and what God has laid upon us as a body of believers. What He acts asks of us and what he expects of us as a body of believers. And so read with me, please, in Ephesians chapter 2, and let's look from verse 11 to verse 17 or 18. Um, and we'll, we'll cover that this morning. And I, I think you're going to find that it is a tremendous, tremendous blessing out of God's Word. Paul writes, therefore, verse 11, Remember that formerly... You, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Verse 13, But now, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who made both groups into one. He broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in His flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, that in Himself He might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by having put to death the enmity. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. Dear Father, um, as I read through this section of scripture, I I'm overwhelmed by what I, I, I believe you want to say to each of us. But, Father, I don't know what that is. I really don't. I, I, I know what you say in my heart. I, I, I take it, Father, and I wish to learn from it. But I'm not sure what you're going to say to each of us individually. That's your business, Father. It is my intent. It is my devotion to you, Father, that I would empty myself of any and all concerns concerning what what must be said insofar as my agenda. I have none, Father. My only agenda is to please you and to teach your word the best I know how. And so I pray, Father, for all of us that you would open our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law, the Bibles that we hold in our laps, 
that you would give us, Father, the understanding of what you, you individually, are saying to each of us this morning. Bless this time. Move me aside, I pray, Father. I pray that you would minister to each of us as only you can. So, Father, take up this time. Minister to our hearts. Prepare our hearts, Father, as we have communion in remembrance of what your Son, Jesus Christ, did for us upon the cross. Giving of his body, shedding of his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you for your Son. We pray these things in Jesus' precious and mighty name. Amen. I was praying, I was thinking, don't you? I, I, do. I love that song when it says, Mountains will bow and oceans will roar at the sound of his name. I, I know I don't have the words right. I never do. But I just love, love, love that particular song. It just kind of just lifts my spirit up. Craig, thank you so much for that music that you guys put together for us. It is absolutely wonderful. Amen. Okay. We read through it. We prayed. Let me put a reminder out there. Let us just backtrack just a little bit because it's really important for this particular place in Scripture. We mentioned last week that all the good works that you and I do have absolutely no part in our gaining our salvation. We, are, we have been taught in the Word of God that there's nothing that we do that, that will make Him love us more. He loves us as much as He could possibly love us. So our performing for Him, our doing for Him, isn't our motive to make Him love us more. That He already does. Remember when He said at, at, at the start of chapter 2, verse 1, we're dead. He says, we are stone coal dead in our trespasses and in our sins. But God appears upon the scene and He gives us life, He says. And then He says in verses 8 and 9, remember tremendous verses, for by grace you and I have been saved through faith. It's, it's not of ourselves. It is, salvation is a gift from God. It, it, is, it is not as a result of works. It's not the good things that we do so that none of us would boast before God. There's nothing that we have that we can boast upon before God. He has given us as a gift everlasting life. But nonetheless, we did say, and importantly, I think that, that our good works, those things that we do, do have a great deal with our displaying who we are in our faith. It, it demonstrates to the world in which we live that we love our Savior. In fact, Jesus Christ said as much. We mentioned this last week in John chapter 15, verse 8. Jesus says, My Father is glorified by this. What? What, Jesus? What, what is your, your Father glorified by? And Jesus says that you bear much fruit. In other words, that we do good works so that we prove to be His disciples. That's our proof text. Those things that we do. Doesn't make, us, doesn't make Him love us more. It just demonstrates to the world that we love Him. and We are a part of His body. So Paul reminds us here in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 that we are God's workmanship. 
we have been, he says in verse 10, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which, he says, God has already prepared beforehand so that you and I would just walk in them. In other words, these things that we do, He's already prepared for us. All He asks of us is to walk in these good works that He has already prepared before us. Now, you need to know that God has given every single generation a call to represent Him in this world in which we live. For instance, long, long ago, God called the Jewish people to be His special people. It is said in Amos chapter 3 and verse 2, God said to Israel, You only have I chosen. You only have I chosen, God said to Israel, among all the families of the earth. You see, God chose Israel to be His channel of blessing into this world in which we live. In Genesis chapter 12, God came to a man called at that time Abram, And he changed his name to Abraham later. And he says, I want you to take your people, your family, I want you to move away from your parents, and I want you to go to a place that I am going to show you. And so Abram left and went. And as Abram was on his way, God said in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, Abram, I'm going to bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I'm going to curse. And then God said, and in you, in you and the people that you, this nation of people that you will produce, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In other words, Abram, you're to go out and you are to represent the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to all the nations of the earth and I will bless those whom you present me to. I will bless them. Every family on this earth shall be blessed. Israel was to be the vessel which the blessings of God was to be spread throughout this whole world. And unfortunately, Israel has yet to fulfill that calling. Instead, as we read here in Ephesians chapter 2, she preferred to condemn the Gentiles rather than witnessing to them Therefore, Paul writes, remember in verse 11, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called on circumcision, as we taught last week, that was a, that was a striking uh, indictment against the Gentiles. It was calling them uncircumcised was a terrible thing. It meant that they were without God. They had no God because the Jews, they were circumcised. They had the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But the Gentiles, they were uncircumcised. And remember I said that that was a, that was a, 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 a great condemnation against them. And we used David as our example. Remember when David went out and he, he asked his brothers, what's happening in the war? And they said, oh, we're at a standstill because they got this big guy called Goliath. And he says, why should he trouble us? I'll fight him. And they, they didn't like that David said this. So he goes, and, and sure enough, he goes to fight him. And remember what he called him when he ran towards him? You, what, uncircumcised Philistine. That was, I guess that was the start of trash talk. <laughs> yeah, he was putting him down. 
uncircumcised men, you, you have no God. He says, who are you to taunt the army of the living God? You uncircumcised Philistine. And boom, he throws the, throws the rock and boom, he, he kills him. That was a terrible thing to say. And yet Paul is saying here that you Gentiles remember that you formerly were called uncircumcised. In Acts chapter 10, I looked it up. Starting with verse 28 to verse 35, Peter had to be taught by God through a vision that he was to have fellowship with the Gentiles. He, he, he would have no part of the Gentile race of people. And so Peter confirmed confess to them he says you yourselves speaking to the gentiles you yourselves he says you know how unlawful it is for a man who is a jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him and yet he says god has shown me that i should not call any man unholy or unclean Later in that same chapter, in verses 34 and 35, Peter says, I most certainly now understand that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears God and does what is right is welcome to God. God called Israel to be distinctive within this world in which we live. They were not to live like other people. They were not to act as other people. Their traditions and their call was unique. Those distinctives was to be a blessing intended to be a tool to witness for God so as to bless all the nations to come to know and believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But Israel distorted those distinctions. They turned it into a source of pride. They turned it into self-isolation. They decided that they would separate themselves from all the others. And their God was their God, period. And they lost. They lost their outreach into the world. They stopped being God's blessings to all people. Now, why do I mention all of that? Certainly not to disrespect the Jewish people. I say that as a warning for you and me. Because I'm going to show you today by the Word of God that we are called to be distinctive too. We are called to to do something for the Lord that is unique for our time. In fact, Paul is going to really jump on this theme a little bit later on. Look at chapter 4 of Ephesians, please. We'll, it'll be a long time till we we'll forget about this by then, and I will remind us when we get to chapter four about Paul's asking us to be distinctive, to be separate, to be a people for God in this world in which we live. And so Paul says in Ephesians chapter four, starting with verse seventeen, he says, "This I say, and I affirm together with the Lord." In other words, this is very important. People, listen. He says. I don't want you to walk any longer as the Gentiles. In other words, I don't want you to walk anymore like an unbeliever who walk in the futility of their mind. Verse 18, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. Verse 19 says, They, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality, 
for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But he says in verse 20, you, we did not learn Jesus Christ in this way. Paul's saying, I have not taught you this. This is not what you and I have learned, he says. Verse 21, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with its, the lusts of deceit, that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Paul is saying, put aside that old self. You are to be distinctive. There is a call in your life. God has given you a call. But I, I want to say, not to us, this church here, as I don't believe it's true here, but I think I see the church in general losing our distinctiveness within this world in which we live. We're losing the blessings that we possess we aren't being a blessing to other people, somewhat like the Jews, the church as a whole. I can give you two or three examples. This week, it's, it's an amazing week to me. I, I received, I don't remember if it was a phone call or an email. I, forgive me, I don't remember. But someone called me and told me that they live, they moved from this area, they went to our church and they moved into another state. And they called to say they're coming back. And here's why. They said to me, they cannot find a church that teaches the Word of God as we do. And they are not going to settle to live in another place and not, not be the spiritual people that God's called them to be and they're moving back. I, I blew me away. That is an amen. So I did, yesterday we did a wonderful, wonderful memorial for Tom, Tommy Clements, who just passed away, Sue. Uh, Peterson, Warren Peterson's son. Um, they really honored him, and it, rightfully so. Uh, I learned a lot about that young man yesterday from the paramedics and from the uh, emergency people. He was very, very special in his field, and he affected a lot of people's lives. He, he really went through a lot of adversity in his life to be the man that he, he, he is. And so we were... we're honoring him and, and, and talking about our Lord and, and his parents wanted me to really share the gospel because a lot of the paramedics and those people that come aren't necessarily churchgoers, wonderful people, but not necessarily churchgoers. And they said, well, this might be the only time, so would you please give them the gospel? And that was my privilege. After the service, a person came up to me and said, I miss you. So, <laughs> thanks. You know, I said, what's up? And said, well, we moved away moved into another community away from us here. And so we've been going, trying to find a church. We've been going to church after church after church. We can't find a church. We want to come back. I said, you're always welcome. Last week, my son called me. and He moved from an area to a different area. And so they were going to a church that they absolutely loved. Really a wonderful preacher. And, um, and their kids were connected to this church and the school. But... Now they're over in this other area and they want to get their kids connected to this other place where they're going to go to a different school now. And, and, and so they went to this church and my, my son called me. And I think I told you this last week, if not the week before. 
And he said, Dad, he says, my wife and I, Jennifer and I had to walk out of the service. And I said, why is that, son? He said, the preacher went up there, Dad. And he says, if you can't believe this, he had no Bible in his hand. No Bible in his hand. And he started to talk about the most innate things. And he says, Jennifer and I just couldn't take it. And so we stood up and we left. We're losing our distinction in this world in which we live. And if you're watching what's happening in this world in which we live, it's changing right before our eyes. And we are to be the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's a call upon yours and my life as a believer. And God's going to show us today through this place in Scripture. Paul says, be careful. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he says, I urge you, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your body as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. That is, he says, your spiritual service of worship. And then he says in verse 2 of Romans chapter 12, don't, don't, don't be conformed to this world but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. See, folks, we we are not called to be conformed into this world in which we live. God has given you and me a calling. He has given us a purpose for life. And He has put His blessings upon us. And that blessing He's put upon you and me is to be taken out into this world in which we live to tell others about the goodness of our God. God forbid that we would deny that and not do that one thing that God's called. Let's see what He says. Let's see what God asks of us. Let's, let's look at verse 13 now as we get into the meat of this text. Verse 13 is much like verse 4. Verse 4 says, but God. Verse 4 changes everything from verses 1, 2, and 3. Verses 1, 2, and 3, Paul says, we're dead. We're stone cold dead in our trespasses and our sins. He says, we all live like that. But, he says in verse 4, God, being rich in His mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, He made us alive together with Christ. Verse 4, the two words, but God, allows God the Father to come upon the scene and solve the problem of death. Well, verse 13 starts with two words. Now, God. You see, we have a problem. The problem has been mentioned in verses 11 and 12. There is a separation between Jew and Gentile. But it's deeper than just Jew and Gentile. It's a separation between anyone that has something against someone within the family of God. But he says, now, Jesus Christ brought you, verse 13, who were formerly far off, and you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You see, by the removing of our sin through the blood of Jesus Christ gives us peace, peace with God. Look, verse 13, those who were formerly far off, that's the Gentiles who had now come to Christ. You were formerly far off. That was a common Jewish term to describe a Gentile who was far away from the true God. 
But look at verse 14. Jesus Christ, He Himself is our peace. He has made both groups into one. He has broken down the barrier of the dividing wall. In Romans 5.1, Paul writes these words, Therefore, having been justified by faith, you and I now have peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. We now have peace with God by our faith through Jesus Christ. Not only, though, do we have peace with God, which is the most important, but we also have peace with one another. Verse 14 tells us, Jesus Christ has made both groups into one. He has broken down the barrier of the dividing wall. The dividing wall was a place that divided the two groups. The Jews and the Gentiles were divided by the dividing wall. But Jesus has broken that wall down and He has now made both groups into one. What he is saying, Paul, here is that we are now on equal footing. I stand with you and you stand with me. We are equal. There is no such thing as a preacher in a church, for instance, being more important than anyone else in the congregation. I've said that to you so often that I I think maybe I'm saying it too much, but I want you to know how important each of us are in the body of Christ. There's no way that a preacher ought to be pointing his fingers at us and says, you ought to do that, and you ought to do that, and you ought to do that. Rather, what we ought to be doing is saying, what is God saying to us? What is God saying to us? The the only reason someone is up here is because God has gifted someone to teach the Word of God. But it doesn't make that person better than any of us. Any of us. We are all equal with God. We are on equal footing. He has broken down that, that barrier that divides people anymore. We are on equal footing But verses 14 and 15, and I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. I want to thank you for allowing me to sit home and study and to try to learn as much as I can, to try to see what is God saying through this place in Scripture? What is He trying to teach us as a body of believers? And it always begins with, what is He trying to teach me? It's always that. And so you enable me to do things that perhaps you don't do. And verses 14 and 15 are absolutely glorious. Verse 14, we see in verse 14 and 15 two words mentioned, He and Himself. In verse 14 it says, For He Himself is our peace. Now, I want you to look at verse 15. He, Paul reverses those two words. He says in verse, verse 15, He abolished the enmity, and, and then he goes on to say, in the middle of verse 15, that in himself he might make the two into one new man. Those words, he himself and himself he, in the Greek, is one word, A-U-T-O-S, and it is in the emphatic position. Now you've got to know that I study to find that out. I don't even know what the emphatic position means. But I learned. What it means is that there is absolutely no other source. There is absolutely no other way to bring about this peace in our lives. It can only come through Jesus Christ. 
And so this world in which we live that is trying to find peace, and, and as you see, it's becoming more like a tinderbox. I mean, from day to day, we're, you, you and I, we must be expected something's going to happen. Something's going to happen to explode things. And why? Because people have rejected the only one who can bring peace. He is the only one. He is the only way that there can be peace in this world. Peace in each other's heart. So, Paul writes, verse 16, unbelievable verse, unbelievable verse that ties itself into that Jesus Christ is the only way. He says in verse 16 and uses a wonderful Bible word, word called reconcile. So look, verse 16, and might reconcile them both into one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. Enmity is hostility or hatred towards one another. Reconciled is a wonderful Bible word. It holds in it the idea of turning hostility and, and, and hatred into friendship and peace. It's the only one that can do it. And listen, here's, here's the bubble, here's the, the whole hinge of everything in this message. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians. It's to the left. You just don't want to miss it. You, got, you go past Galatians and you'll come to 2 Corinthians and look at verse 5. You see, God has told us that there's to be reconciliation between two groups, whether it be Jew and Gentile, whether it be just you and someone else that you are having trouble with. You and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, have been given a ministry. And it is the ministry of reconciliation. Watch. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, Paul writes, If anyone is in Christ. Now, what he's going to say next is only, only the mind could imagine what God has done to your life and my life through being in Jesus Christ. He tells us, we are now, verse 17, new creatures. Old things have passed away and new things have come. Verse 18, now all of these things are from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ. And now watch, watch closely. And has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That's our call in this generation in which we live. We are called to be ministers of the gospel of reconciliation. Look at verse 19. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And He has committed to us, you and me, the word of reconciliation. Therefore, He has now given you and me a title. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. That's our call. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg on you, Paul is saying, on behalf of Jesus Christ, be reconciled to God. That's our ministry. That's our call in life. The ministry of reconciliation. The Jews were to be a blessing into this world. And, and bless their hearts, they missed it. You and I cannot afford to miss what God has called us to do. And let me tell you, it's not an easy ministry. I mean, we can make up a religion right now. And we could go out in the world and say, we have this spiritual ministry. We have this spiritual 
whatever we want to call it, and people would say, ooh, that sounds very spiritual. Yes, yes, come. This wonderful God that you guys are worshiping, that's fine. But you go to that same group of people and say, I want you to repent. Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior. You must be reconciled to God through Him and Him alone, and you're in for a fight. People don't want to hear that name mentioned. It is, it is the place that kind of separates everyone. And, and God has given you and me the privilege, the privilege to have a ministry of reconciliation to this world in which we live, to bring peace to mankind. And it's not an easy calling. As verse 17 tells us, He... Look, came and preached to peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. And you and I have been given that same calling. We are to bring and we are to announce God's good news of reconciliation to those who are near and to those who are far away. In other words, we are to be His ambassadors with the reconciliation, with, I should, I should say, the gift of reconciliation. Verse 18 is a beautiful verse to end with before we go into communion. In fact, ushers, would you mind coming forward and start passing out um, um, uh, the the communion, the host and the wine, the juice? Verse 18 is a beautiful verse. It, It gives us access to the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Verse 18 says, For through Him, talking about Jesus, We both have our access in one spirit to the Father. You see, this access that that is given to us through Jesus Christ is our equal footing with one another. It is where we come together as one person. We we come together as a people, regardless of of nationality or, or financial burdens or race or any other thing. We are one in Christ. We are to love one another. In these four walls, this is where that place is, should be secure and safe for every single one of us. Christ has broken down the barriers. We are all brothers and sisters. In fact, Paul writes in another place, the book of Galatians, the third chapter, the 28th verse, he writes, there is neither Jew nor Greek. He says, there is neither slave nor free. He says, there is neither male nor female. He says, because we are all one in Jesus Christ. And upon that unity, folks, that unity that we have in Jesus Christ, Paul is going to build the foundation of the church. And it's all done, as we're going to see next week, through our cornerstone, the one who is called Jesus Christ. So as we are now um, going to just be quiet for a while, I want you to think about this particular moment. I mean, the whole idea of remembering what Jesus Christ has done for us, uh, of His going to the cross and shedding His blood, we'll talk about that in just a moment. But, but I want you to think about this thing called peace that God wants to bring. He wants to give you peace with Him, peace that goes beyond anything or any other understanding that you might have. It is the most, it is the most comforting peace that anyone can ever have. The second thing I think that is so important about peace 
The second peace is the peace that you can find within your own self. Sometimes the hardest person to have peace with is your own self. Because most, you know, we know who we are. We know how we fall short. And then the peace that we can have within our families, our love for our our spouse, our husbands, our wives, our, our love for our kids. And then that love that we have right here within this family of God, this peace that we have here, it's a wonderful thing that God offers us. It comes through Him and Him alone. And so while you contemplate all of this, and as soon as we pass out all of the bread and the wine, I'm going to kind of mention a couple things as we take communion. And, and um, you can just now pray and think about this moment for yourself. When Jesus Christ was with His disciples, He was having a meal with them and He took some bread and He and he broke it and he, and he held it up, I would guess, before them. And he said, look, he said, this is my body. Whenever you eat of this, I want you to do it in remembrance of me. In other words, whenever you have this moment of communion, whenever you have this moment where you contemplate, I want you to think about me and what I have done for you upon the cross, that I had, that I had given of my body for you. And so... When you take of this bread right now, you and me, remember, remember the things that Jesus Christ has said to you. Remember the things that he has done for you. Remember the things, or or remember what he means to you. When you take of this bread, remember him. Shortly thereafter, our Lord took some wine and he made the statement of statements concerning his life. I assume he held the wine glass up and he said to them, this is a new covenant. So Jesus Christ held up this wine and he said this amazing thing. He said, this is a new covenant. This is my blood that I shed for you upon the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. He says, whenever you drink of this wine, remember, remember what I did for you. Remember that I have forgiven you your sins. Remember how much I love you. Father in heaven, what a beautiful, beautiful thing it is that you have given us. And that's our ability to remember. To remember all that you have done for us and what you mean to us the words that you have spoken to us. Father, uh, thank you that you have given us this ministry of reconciliation. May we represent you. May we not drop the ball that you have handed to us. May we, at least here at the Rock Community Church, be a church that will not lose its distinction. may May we hold firm to those things that you teach us. May we be a people that become your ambassadors handing out the gift of reconciliation to all people who will listen. Father, I want to thank you so much for the people of this church. It took a a holiday weekend and still came to honor you, still came to be a part of this service on a beautiful, beautiful Sunday day taking of their time 
to come and to worship you is a wonderful thing to be a part of. Lord, I am honored. Father, bless us all as we go from here. Remind these people, Father, please, over and over again how much I love them. I thank you for the love that you've given me in my heart for each person here. Bless us all, Father, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I do love you more than I can put into words. Have a great, great the rest of this day and weekend. Love you guys. Have a good day.